Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. We are in Romans chapter 2. If you would, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. Starting in verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law and make your boast in God. Know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, Do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Let's pray. Father, we just again come before you as a congregation, as a group, as a people that are chosen by you to learn, to grow, to be equipped, to be empowered, to love. Lord, we just pray that Your Spirit would have His way with us this morning. Let there not be any distractions. Help our hearts and minds be in tune to what You would teach us this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. title of this message is, is, What Side of the Pew Are You On? Now, if you'll notice, Paul has been talking about the immoral. He's talked about the moral. Now he's going to talk about the religious. Specifically, he's talking to the Jew. Now, the word Jew actually comes from Judah. It means he shall be praised. All the Israelites took this name. It It was actually from the tribe of Judah, but now all the Jews associated with Judah. Why? Because it was the southern kingdom. So they they took a matter of status of saying that they were Jews. If you notice also, they rest on the law. They put their confidence in the fact that God gave them the law and His Word. They boasted in God. They boasted in the fact that they were God's chosen people. Everybody else worshipped false gods. They knew the true and living God. Now in verse 18, we read again, and know His will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed of the law. They knew God's will. It's been revealed to them what God's plan and purpose was, the desires that God had. They approved the things that are excellent. The word approve means test, examine, to discern. They were able to discern and know what were the spiritual and moral superior standards. They agreed with God, and they agreed that the world was wicked. Being instructed out of the law, why? Because from their schooling as youths to their regular reading and instruction in their synagogues, they boasted in their schooling and knowledge of the law. Look at verses 19 and 20. 
and are confident that you yourselves are guides to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of babes, having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. You see, they were confident in themselves. They saw themselves to be, if you will, to the Gentile world, as guides to the blind, light to the ignorant, instructors to the idiots, master teachers to babies. Let themselves superior. They have a form of knowledge and truth in the law. They have a form which would be an outward structure. The form looks good. It's a matter of what was inside it. Again, looking at 20. A form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore... You who teach, do you not teach yourselves? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Now, they teach, but again, it's the idea of you teach, don't steal, but do you steal? Teach, don't commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, you rob temples means commit sacrilege. So this could be taken two ways. It could be rob temples of shrines to sell them for profit. Why? Because they didn't mean anything, but they were rich. Temples had gold and silver in it. So to steal it and then to sell it, they made some bucks. But it also could mean they didn't honor God's temple. They sold things in God's temple. They didn't give properly to God the things that God had given to them. And then look in verses 23 and 24. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. See, by not obeying the law, this is the repercussions of it. The Jews dishonored God among the Gentiles. See, God's name was tarnished among the Gentiles. See, they were to be a light to the Gentile world. In Isaiah 49.6, it says, Indeed, he says, It is a small thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. In Ezekiel, God says, But I had a concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel has profaned among the nations wherever they They failed. Oh, not totally, not absolutely, but they failed. See, they they took, if you will, all their confidence in the name that they held, the privileges that they were given, the idea that they were chosen, that they were keepers of the law, at least they thought. At least they had a form of it. They were the ones that who understood morally what was right and what was wrong. They could discern also the wicked among them and the false gods that everybody worshipped. They felt like they were the elite of the elites. But see, because of this, they also felt superior. And feeling superior, what they did was they, they kept other people from desiring to know the truth. Why? Because they saw the hypocrisy. They also saw how the Jews looked down upon others. 
Now, of course, we can take stuff from this too. We can understand exactly how the Jews interacted and felt because believers can also do the same. But it's understanding not just because of what we're to do, but what not to do. See, the Jews were proud of being a Jew. Christians? They could be proud to be Christian, entitled. Because exactly this is what the Jews were, entitled. Do you know that 70% of Americans call themselves Christians? 70%. But out of that 70%, 76 actually believe that God is believe, kind of certain, fairly certain. And 6%, not sure, or they don't believe in him at all. But the name Christian, if you ask them what religious faith do you take, and they say Christian, what's the importance of their faith? 68% say very important, 25% say somewhat. How many times do they attend church? The 70%. 47% say at least once a week. 38% once or twice a month or a few times a year. 17% say never or seldom. But they got the name Christian. Uh, what about resting on the word of God, the law that was given to them. Well, if you would, reading scripture out of that 70%, 45%, well, at least once a week. 45% at least once a week. 12% once or twice a month. 9% several times a year. 33%. Seldom or never. But they got the Word of God in their hands. They got a Bible. Bibles are still the single most number one selling book year after year after year. We give them as gifts. Oh, we give them as decoration, put them on a coffee table. Our bookshelves may be aligned with a whole bunch of Bibles. But see, the question really is, is do we actually pull it out and do we read it and do we take it literally? Oh, the 70%, 39% take it literally. Uh, let me repeat that. 39% take it literally. Not all of it. Pick and choose. Cut it out. Use what you want. 18% don't believe that it is even the Word of God. But they're Christians and they have the Bible. Boasted on being God's chosen, what the Jews did. We too are chosen. In fact... If you will, the mind-boggling thing is, Ephesians tells us that we are chosen before the foundation of the Word of God. 
before the world, excuse me, before the foundation of the world, you were already chosen. But don't get too high and mighty. Why? Because Paul brings us down to where we should be. See, God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Put to shame the wise, but God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, the base things of the world, the things which are despised of God by chosen, the things that are not to bring to nothing, the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Yes, we are chosen, but chosen, again, the question that each of us should always ask in a humbling, loving way, why? Would you choose me? And then you have to answer it. Because God is love. See, why we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because God commanded his love toward you. And he knew something. He knew something about you and me and everyone that truly calls on the name of Christ. That he knew that we would come to the conclusion that I am weak, that I am hurting, that I am in need, that I need God. And God says, I choose you. So you came to awareness. You needed a Savior. So did I. Because of that, from the foundations of the world, You and I were chosen. So there's definitely nothing here to boast about, that's for sure. See, the Jews knew God's will. We know also the full revelation of God. The sad part about that is, is that knowing the full revelation of God, many churches don't preach the full revelation of God. Now this, this, is a little older one. I wish I had a, a one that was more relevant because <laughs> it would be more telling. But this is this survey was given in 2010. Christians who believe, well, those who say they're Christian, do they believe in the return of Christ soon? 27% definitely. 20% probably. 28% Probably not. 10% definitely not. 14%? I don't know. Now I heard, I wish I wrote it down because this was a while ago. Well, I while I go, as in like a couple months ago, I heard how many churches are actually teaching Christ's return. And the percentage is jaw-dropping. That's just above single digits. As all the things that are happening around us have been prophesied, churches won't touch prophecy. Too controversial. The interpretation can be wacky, crazy. You can go on some weird rabbit trails. But see, as we see these things coming down, as we see it unfolding, this should all encourage us. Because, hey, somebody knows what's going on. Because if you think our president does, you got another thing coming. So who does know the truth of God? Everything is happening around us. God knows. What should I invest in? Don't know, but God knows. What should I do? I don't know, but God knows. God knows. Everything. He's got that plan and He's got that purpose for each of us. 
See, they, they were able to discern God's higher spiritual moral standards. How much more do we? Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Starting at verse 11, it says, For what man, Paul writes, knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that He might know the things that we have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. See, not only do we have the Word of God, which is wonderful in itself, but it's still, if we're looking at it through the natural mind, then it becomes, if you will, Greek. Oh, wait a minute, it is written in Greek. But I mean, you know what I mean. We don't understand it. But see, we're told often, over and over again, that you have the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, who inspires, who instructs, who empowers. That's why it doesn't matter about your education, because God's the teacher. God knows your mind. God knows how to teach you. Remember, Jesus chose 11 disciples. Well, he chose 12. One ended up betraying him. But they were fishermen. They were men of the earth. Not highly educated. Why? Because, again, God could take a lump of clay and make a man out of it. God can take your lump of clay that you call your head and make you a genius spiritually. That's God's prerogative. God can do it. God will do it. And God does it. How sad, though, as we read that, so few people actually read the Bible. And 43% read it at least once a week been said that seven days without reading the Word of God makes one weak. W-E-A-K. That's true. But then the sad part is, the opposite is, is sometimes we make it into a ritual. That if I don't read the Word of God, something bad's going to happen to me. Well, that's not true either. Even sadder, some of us read it and we just think, okay, I got that checklist off. Without, again, thinking and praying it through that God is the teacher of all things. God wants to teach you. Are you a willing student? Am I a willing student? Are the Christians in this world a willing student? Are they willing to open it up? Are they willing to let God teach them? Are they willing to change? Change. but also able to discern and know God's higher spiritual moral standards, the 70% of Christians in this world, 38% find that they could go to the Word of God and discern what are the absolute standards of God's right and wrong. That's only 38%. Why? Because 59% depends on situations. Situational ethics. Christians, 59% of 70% of the Christians in America believe, if you will, on situational right and wrong. Ethics. What Christians look to most for guidance, for right and wrong? 
43% are religion, 8% philosophy, 41% common sense, 6% science. Now, remember, common sense, (laughs) if we're looking at common sense right now, we're wondering who has common sense. Are we not? But still, to... To say that it all depends on the situation, if it depends on the common sense at the moment, then your common sense may be different from my common sense. So where's the standard? Where's the one that says this is right, this is wrong? Where's the one that says this is the absolute truth? Wait a minute, though. Absolute truth doesn't exist anymore, right? Because it's situational. No, because see, just like the God that chose you, he knew you were weak and I was weak, is also the God that knows what's going to happen when Christ is going to return. See, he knows everything about prophecy, but he also knows everything that's right and everything that's wrong. He is the absolute truth. It's not how I feel. It's not even how my common sense may react and act. Not even on the situation. What does God declare? And if it's absolute truth, black and white, then there's no question. So then the problem would be me if I don't accept it as true. Which for all of us as believers should again find our contentment in the fact that God knows what's right and what's wrong. It should bring comfort to each of our hearts. It should bring strength to our faith. Now, just as the Jews were prideful of their Bible reading and studies, listening to teachers in Sunday schools, listen to what Paul says, what's going to happen towards the end times. He says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Oh, I don't want that to sound like me. See, it's easy to even... Some Christian bookstores you can go into and you can see the latest fad in Christianity and what they're pushing to think. And it may be truth, but always we have to understand that it's a kernel of truth. The absolute truth that we have that's important to us is found in Jesus Christ, which is revealed in his word. So we have to be very careful. Again, if you know me, I read a lot. I read a lot of different books. And there's a lot of great books out there. But we also have to realize, again, it's looking at, again, an infinite God through finite eyes. And it's just a truth that they have found to be maybe true in their lives. It's like church growth. Church growth in the last past 50 years, they always come up. Somebody comes up with a book like How to Grow a Church. As you can see, I've read several books. No, I'm kidding. But it's all these different ways to make a church grow. And you can, you know, bend to culture. You can find out um, where's the best place to set up your church, what people are more prone to listen to you teach or the way you teach or the way your service is or your denomination, where's most, uh, you know, different ethnic groups or whatever. 
There's all these different ways to help grow a church. But the thing that's missing is God's the one that helps his church to grow. That's the bottom line. God causes growth. What are we to do? Do what we're supposed to do. Trust that he is the living God, that he is the absolute power, that he is the absolute truth, that he is the one that causes growth. And to do what he asks as we study his word, as we learn in his word, as we grow in his word, as we understand that we're empowered by his spirit. God's spirit. He causes you to grow. He causes me to grow. And really, if you will, what should happen then is just the natural progression of healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. Now, you, most of you here, are parents. And God bless each one of you because you've got a lot of sheep that you're nurturing, that you're feeding, that you're helping to grow in Christ. That is really, if you will, your first priority is your own house. But it's also to be open to whatever God desires for you to be and to do. Now, we understand that Jews were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. So are we. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, again, understanding not to be proud or boastful that we have this light, Paul humbles himself by saying he's the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was within me. In Timothy, he says, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Oh, blessed day. Glory to God. Why? Because, again, remember, not many weak, not many wise. It's you goofballs, it's me the goofball, that God has said, you're the one I want. Why? Because I know you're looking up because you have nowhere else to go, and you have seen the truth. Because now you understand nobody knows how to get out of here. See, we all came, and again, to reemphasize this, to a point that we understood that nobody else had the answer. But only God did. The absolute God, the righteous God, the true God. And He called you, He chose you, but see, you came. His desire is to save all. Many are called, but see, few are chosen. Why? Because everybody's called. But only those that will come, realizing the hunger and the need, will look up and receive. But in saying that, then, we too, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred, Paul will go on to say in 1 Corinthians, to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us, not to think beyond what is written, none of you should be puffed up on behalf of one against the other, for who makes you differ from another? What do you do and have that make you that you do not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You have received it. Simple truth. Except the reality is in me. The reality. 
reality needs to be shared, not as one that has arrived, not as one that is better than others. I stand here and I'm a teacher. I stand here and I understand that the Scripture says it's not just in the doing, it's also in the thinking. And the reality is, is that we're all sinners. The reality is that we all should be very humble. Because you're teachers also. Remember I mentioned the sheep? See, it's humility. But it's also the awareness that God has chosen you. I can do nothing of myself, but it's the understanding I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I feel like I blow it. Oh, don't look at me like I'm the only one. But I also understand He's forgiving. And He's changing me. He's making me new. As time goes on, as I get older, I'm looking more and more forward to going home. My kids don't like me saying that, but you do. You just start going, yeah, I get it. Home. I won't have to worry about me anymore. The struggles. The thoughts. The damage. Because the work will be complete. So it's understanding and taking that. Realizing I don't want my faith to be a form of godliness. Now, Paul Again, in Timothy, he says, having a form of godliness, in that passage speaking of in these end times, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. What's he saying? This, basically, folks. If you did not come here with an idea, with a belief, with an attitude that God is all-powerful and that God is at work in your life and God is going to change you and God is going to work out all the things that are happening in your life, then you are denying God of His power. If you still feel like, well, this isn't for me or this struggle is never going to change or I'm just this way and I can't help it. It's because of my parents. It's because of the situation I grew up in. It's because of that one boss I had. It's because of my children. It's because, you know what? That doesn't fly, gang. See, every time we walk in here, every Christian should go to be going to church, not just because it's at church, but see, we are gathered together in here. Caleb, again, did it beautifully. He sensed God's presence. He didn't want to stop. He kept worshiping. Why? Because God's presence here. God is here. When we collectively come together, God makes himself manifest. So where two or three are gathered together, together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I'm not saying that when you're by yourself that God's not there. But when there, everybody's here with expectation, when everybody here came here for a purpose and a point, not for you, not for me, but being in God's presence, then there's a power, there's a purpose, and there's a place for each of us. But it's the realization that God can change the situation, God can change you. God is working out all His truths in each of us. And remember this, we keep going over this because we all need to remind ourselves when God is done, when we are done, it's finished. 
Because he already declared it's finished. Isn't that wonderful? When he said it's finished, it meant you too. Because see, he sees us already complete. Isn't that wonderful? In Christ, you are Even more so, that this should be one of the most exciting places in the world to be. It doesn't matter how many numbers. I said two or three. God's here. Are you expecting Him to move in your life? Are you waiting with bated tongue? What are you going to do today, Lord? What are you going to teach me today? What are you going to reveal to me? Now, notice too, that though they had a form, they also used the world, if you will, by robbing their temples. You know, a little something-something. I mean, it's not a real God, so what does it matter? It matters because God is real. They should have known stealing is wrong regardless. That they were using something of the world to benefit themselves. It's time that we step back and ask ourselves once again, what is it that we're using in this world? What is it that we accept? Choose? Entertainment. How we live in a heart society. I'll be the first to tell you. It's all over the place. Still, what are we using in this world? What's our go-to? I'm not talking about a half gallon of Hagadas. I'm talking about just the things of this world. Is money really the idol that we hold? It's your dreams. It's your desires. What is it that we use in this world that keeps us, if you will, of entering into the, just that, that understanding of God and His purpose and plan for each of us? Now, the last thing is, really, if you will, they... They weren't obeying God. Sinning. You know, I, I can tell you, and James to be doers of the word, not hearers only, but really this all comes from just the simple truth. And the simple truth is the belief that God is at work and God wants to teach us. And instructing and teaching us, He wants to empower us. But if we're not taking the time to spend with Him, you know, there was another survey, and I didn't write this one down. I'm trying to remember it now that I'm thinking about it. I probably shouldn't do this, but still, you'll get the idea. The numbers aren't exact, but you'll see the difference. And it spoke of, well, and something extra. Do you ever go to a prayer meeting, a Bible study, or something else outside of Sunday morning? And the percentage is of the 70%, like 30-something percent. But what's sad is the one percentage that seldom or never do is like 40 something percent because again that's indicative to 
to the church. The powerlessness of it. Powerlessness of it. Power's not in the church. Never was. Never supposed to be. See, the power is in the one that we've come to worship. Power is in the fact that you have been chosen, so have I. And you and I will have eternity to try to figure out why me, Lord? Why? But oh, it won't be like, why me, Lord? It's just, why me? I don't get it, but I'm glad I'm here. It's been an old saying, it's an old joke, but it's like, you're going to be surprised that you're there in heaven when you get there. But you're going to be more surprised at how this guy get in. The reality is, again, it's not about you. It's not about me. Because our part is that, remember, we realize that we were weak. That we were in need. That we were drowning. And as the song goes, only drowning men see him. It dishonored God among the non-believers. Why? Because they act like self-righteous and they use the world. They're hypocrites. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. See, again, it's, it's understanding that not using the world. It's, it's not using things for my benefit. It's using things for what they're intended for. But it's also sharing those things. The most important thing that we can share is the reason for the hope that is within you and that's within me. Not that I can do anything. I mean, I'm just as goofball just as you are. But see, when you have the Almighty God inside you, then see, there is no limitations except for what we put on. No, God, I cannot. I cannot speak, Lord. I stutter. Who made the mouth. God, you don't understand. I'm not very good with people. People make me nervous. People intimidate me. See, the fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord shall be safe. See, God has an answer for every excuse we have. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we if we really embrace who God is in a day-to-day fashion? What God can do through you, through me, because He's the all-powerful one. He's the all-loving one. He's the one that desires for us to embrace His grace, His forgiveness, His love, His mercy. And He says, "Now go share it with other people. Go tell them about it." Tell them what you have. Not what you don't have. 
I don't have the, the smarts. No, but he would say to you, but you got the one that knows it all. I can't do this, Lord. And see, we limit ourselves with the experience of God in our lives. Do you want to experience God? Go do the word. Go do it. I dare you. I dare you. See what God will do. Well, that's all I have. You're saying, thank God. But understand, it's the thing is about being a teacher is, yeah, I heard this before you. I get convicted before you. But I also go back with the understanding that the things I told you is true and I have to remind myself. We have an awesome, powerful, wonderful God. And he looks at each of us and says, I chose you. I chose you. I chose you. I chose you. Now will you understand what it means that you chose me? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We just pray, Lord, as we've been, some of us may be convicted. We just pray that, Lord, help us not to be hypocrites. Help us not to be ones that just come when we want to. Help us not to be ones that don't believe that you are an awesome God that's always at work. That you're a God that is powerful. That you're a God that is loving. That you're a God that's always at work. You never sleep nor slumber. That you're a God that wants to use us. Us foolish people. But thank you. Thank you that I am foolish, Lord. Thank you that I was so weak that I said help. Thank you that I was so hurting that I looked for someone to comfort. Thank you for the pain because I looked for the physician. Thank you for the lack of truth because I went and searched for the truth. Thank you that I found it. All in a person. All in a man, God, Jesus Christ. And I thank you from behalf of my brothers and sisters this morning. And I pray that you would stir in each of our hearts the work, the power, the ministry, the majesty, the wonder of the gospel message. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.